Lord bless you tonight. Thank you uh, to our staff that is here, our musicians on the platform. Amen. Tonight, uh, I count it a privilege and an honor. Thank my pastor for uh, giving me the opportunity to preach tonight. Uh, it is no small thing, um, and it is a, a, a great thing to be here uh, tonight. And so in, in getting into our uh, sermon tonight, uh, I try my best not to look like a televangelist, <laughs> even though we're online and things like that, but I want to share with you an opening illustration uh, that is local to our area. Um, in April of 1862, there was a Union general by the name of George McClellan, and he was a general in the Union Army. Uh, during this, this war, and he was launching an invasion of Virginia near Yorktown. And as this was happening, the Confederate Army had to find some way to hold off this attack. This task fell to a general named John Magruder. And this general only had 13,500 troops versus the Union's 55,000 troops. But the one thing that this general had is that he had different fortifications. He had different bases across the Virginia Peninsula, and he had a lot of them. And so with this in mind, he had the few troops that he had move between all the different strongholds that he had set up, traveling back and forth, using uh, different illusions to make it seem like they had more than what they actually had. And while the Union was observing all of this, what they were seeing was not the truth because many of these fortifications were empty and actually even some of the, the weapons that they were using were shaped out of wood and made to look like it was real. And they even had uniforms of the enemy to make it seem like there was defectors and that there was a lot more going on than what it was. I want to tell you tonight that in history that this trick worked because despite being outnumbered, this general caused the other general to delay his t attack for several weeks, giving the Confederacy crucial time to reinforce um, along its road to the capital at Richmond. And so this story illustrates what can happen to the church in the midst of an offensive, is that we can be on the offense, we can be uh, in revival, we can be comfortable, and that we can also, just like this other general, be deceived by the illusions of the enemy, by what's going on around us, what we see, and it ultimately change our course of action. Our text tonight, Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13 uh, we're going to talk about a parable that Jesus spoke uh, to his people that encourages us tonight to stay ready. Matthew 25, starting in verse 1, it says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise, and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. 
But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Let's pray tonight, church. Father, we thank you, Lord, once again to be in your house of worship. God, I pray, Father, that you would meet us in this place, God. You would open our hearts our minds to the word of God tonight, God, that you would instill in us, God, a spirit of readiness, God, a spirit of preparation, God, I pray tonight, Lord, as we hear your word, let us not remain unchanged, God, but do a powerful work in every heart and every mind, God, let your word be spoken and the words of men be cast underfoot, we thank you, God, we give you worship tonight, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, the foolish version if you're taking notes. Let's look firstly at a preoccupied world. Now, I want to uh, give a disclaimer and say that this is not a coronavirus sermon. I do not really believe in sensationalizing world events, but as a minister of the gospel, being charged to preach the whole counsel of God, proclaiming the truth of the Lord Jesus, I want to declare a message tonight of preparation for those, as Jesus said, would have ears to hear. When we look at the events surrounding our life, we can't deny that our world and our surroundings are different than anything that we've ever seen before in this lifetime. This outbreak that we're living in has quickly shaped the world. It's shaped the world economically. There's businesses that have shut down. There are uh, revenue streams and different Uh, money flows that have stopped. It has caused unemployment across the nation and the rest of the world. It has shaped our world socially, that the way we view one another. There's there's this view of suspicion. Do you have it? Are you going to get me? Are you coughing? Are you sneezing? Uh, It has limited social interactions and moved us into dimensions of social distancing and online connectivity. These occurrences in conjunction with the media and social outlets have thrust our society into high levels of fear and paranoia that at least I can speak for myself that I've never seen this before in the earth. You can see the grip of fear and the grip of uncertainty, the distrust uh, amongst people, the distrust among citizens and government the desperation of people who are thinking that they need to survive, and the lives of people as they operate in this new society. We're seeing all these things, but then you also see this same spirit creeping its way into the church. When we talk about fear tonight, can I say that fear and paranoia, desperation, is not 
and cannot be a description of a born-again believer of Jesus Christ. Because God has not called us to panic. God has not called us to be fearful of the natural because we're called to live for the supernatural and we're called to live for the things that are heavenly. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 and 15 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So when we take a step back and we look at the world through the lens of God, we have to understand that these situations and the times that we are living in, we are living in a time that is not uncommon. We are living in a time that should not be surprising to a child of God. The reality is that God tells us that these times are going to come as the world begins to end. Matthew 24, verse 7, Jesus said these words, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. These are signs that we should be heeding to, that these are the signs that accompany the coming of Christ and the ends of this age. Jesus told his, uh, his disciples to take heed. Take heed that no one deceives you. There's been many things that I, I've seen over the last few weeks that uh, you know, have been engaging my mind, and a lot of them have been around the rulers and the leaders across the world. There's one man named Viktor Orban, and he's the Hungarian prime minister. He took office uh, in that country in 2010, and he's been known as this, this power-desiring power uh, leader. And he's quoted to have said that when he was running for office, that we only need to win once. And then after we win once, we have to do things properly. But true to his word, when he was elected into office, he began changing the Hungarian state, rewriting its constitution, uh, changing the courts, um, changing the media. And in 2013, he was attributed to saying that in a crisis, you don't need governance by institutions. And one of the newest stories that, that have come through that's shocking that on March 30th of this year, that his, the country and the government gave him the authority to rule by decree, bypassing every other area of their government until the coronavirus is over. And so here's an example where a country in this time of crisis, in this time where issues are going forth, that there are unprecedented leadership changes, powers that are being given uh, to different leaders. In the Philippines, their leaders, uh, their president has recently been granted broad emergency powers, and he's ordered the police and the military to shoot anyone who creates trouble. And these are the type of things that are going on in this time. We're seeing things that have never happened before, at least in my lifetime. Now, 
when I'm saying this, I'm not saying this as a conspiracy theorist tonight. But you cannot ignore the events that are happening during this time. When we see these things, and when we see uh, what is going on the earth, we see these things, but when we begin to react in the natural, that's when we begin to walk down a dangerous path. Because it's easy to become wrapped up in the conversations, the news stories, the fear, the headlines, the actions, the statistics. It's easy to be wrapped up into that and forget the truth of God's word. Matthew 24, verse 36 through 39 says, But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And so let me ask you tonight, as you're there, you're hearing these words, what is your focus tonight? Are you focused on the panic of the world? Are you focused on the issues that are surrounding us in this time? Or are you focused on the coming of Christ? Because God has given us wisdom through his word that our focus should be and should remain on the end goal, which is the return of the bridegroom for his church. Can you say amen? And that's where our story picks up tonight, is that there are ten virgins. Again, Matthew 25, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. In this parable, Jesus is describing the kingdom in a term that his disciples are very familiar with, a Jewish wedding. And so in a Jewish wedding, there's three distinct phases. One is that the first step is engagement. When there are uh, a man and a woman, they're seeking uh, to be married. There's a formal engagement that is made by the fathers, that's made uh, by the family, and they become engaged. The second process is the betrothal, and this is the ceremony where the promises are made, where essentially the deal is hashed out. And then the third phase is the actual marriage, which occurred approximately one year later when the bridegroom came at an unexpected time for his bride. And when the bridegroom came, the bridesmaids, which are the virgins in our story, they were attending the bride. They went forth to meet the bridegroom with their lamps lit to accompany him and his companions into the house to her who was to be the bride. And this is the depiction that Jesus is giving us. This is the big picture. And this is what we need to remember is that Jesus is coming back for his church. He is coming back for his church. And while our Savior is delayed, 
Are you, or are you preparing for his return? Have you prepared for his return? Because there's a contrast and a separation that Jesus is giving us, the wise versus the foolish. Let's look secondly tonight at foolish living. Again, Matthew 24 talks about the kingdom of heaven. talks about these ten virgins, and it says, Five of them were wise, five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. When we look at this word foolish, it comes from the word moros, or the word that we kind of get moron, right? And this word means moron. <laughs> it means dull. It means stupid. It means heedless uh, or even blockheadedness. But what this word foolish does not mean, this word does not give the meaning of uninformed. It does not give the meaning of ignorant. You know, I think about some of the things that I've seen uh, going on with this coronavirus. You see people wearing bags over their heads and bags over their shoes. And you see, uh, you know, people doing these different things that uh, they're hoping to protect them. You see people buying up random things uh, in the stores um, and all these different things. This is not the meaning of foolish. This is not what foolishness is portraying. The foolishness that Jesus is describing is a person who knows or a person who ought to know about something and they respond contrary or different to that knowledge. For example, it is foolish to walk in the middle of a street with a high flow of traffic because a rational person ought to know that there's a high likelihood that you're going to be hit. Hit by someone who's not paying attention or being hit by someone who's, able, who's unable to avoid you. This is the foolishness that Jesus is describing. So in this parable, Jesus is saying that these foolish virgins should have known that they needed the oil to keep the torch lit. They were the bridesmaids. They were no strangers to this process that was going on. They were no strangers to the events and how things were supposed to happen. These virgins, they knew all about the wedding. They knew that the bridegroom was coming at a time that they did not know. They knew that it would be night and that the light of their torches would be needed. But where they failed is that they did not heed the word of God that should have been known. Matthew 24, verse 44. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. What these foolish virgins did was they only prepared for the minimum and not the long haul. And this is what new converts and young believers or even older believers begin to do in their walk, in their preparation with God. There's a mentality that begins to develop that just the minimum is going to get me through. That my prayer of faith is all that I need. That I don't need to fellowship with other believers. That I don't need to continuously watch and pray. That I don't always need to sacrifice in giving. That I do not need to read and study my Bible all the time. And see what, this hap what happens is, you just sit there 
with a torch with no fuel. Jesus is warning people. He's warning the church. He's warning you and I that if we do not prepare ourselves, that we are in a rude awakening when he comes. Again, Matthew 25, verse 6, And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was shut. See, the foolish virgins were left behind. And there was nothing that could do about it. And this is a, a sobering thing because when I, when I read things like that, when I'm reminded of this issue, I always remember those words. And Matthew says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So let me ask you tonight, brother, sister, friend, beloved, where's your oil? Where's your oil tonight? Do you have enough oil to keep your lamp burning until the bridegroom comes? There's a story of a king and his jester. Uh, and this jester with his king, this Jester often said foolish things to his king. And one day the jester came into the king and he, you know, did his thing to make the king laugh. But then he also said uh, many things that were foolish. And so the king handed this jester a staff and he says, take this. Jester, take this and keep it until you find a bigger fool than yourself. So after this, there were some years later that this king laid on his deathbed and his family was called, his servants were called, all the people who had close interactions with the king were called uh, around his bedside and the king addressed all of them and said, I'm about to leave you. I'm going on a very long journey and I shall not return again to this place, so I've called you all to say goodbye. Then his jester stepped forward, and he addressed the king, and he said, Your majesty, may I ask you a question? The king said, Go ahead. And he said, When you have journeyed abroad, visiting your people, or paid diplomatic visits to other courts and other countries, your servants have always gone before you, making preparations for you. May I ask, what preparations has your majesty made for this long journey he is about to take. The king said, Alas, I have made no preparations. Then the jester said, Take this staff with you, for now I have found a bigger fool than myself. So when you think about things that are going on in our world, when you think about your life, when you think about your walk with God, you have to understand tonight that the bridegroom is still coming. No matter what, there is a time and a date appointed when Jesus will come back for his church 
And there will be many people, just like this king that says, I have made no preparations. But I ask you tonight, are you preparing? Are you prepared for the return of the bridegroom? Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Let's look lastly at he who lacks wisdom. The wise virgins were a contrast from those who were foolish. Matthew 25, verse 4 says, But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps, but while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. The wise were the ones who took the oil in their vessels with their lamps. And see, tonight there are two things that are going to keep you ready for the return of the bridegroom. The first is wisdom. Wisdom will keep you ready for the coming of the bridegroom. I can remember when we first went into these, these online services, Pastor Mitchell challenged us. He challenged the church uh, about prayer. And he said, will we be a church that will pray and seek God during this time in our world? And when I remembered that in my own personal prayers, asking God, God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom for making decisions. Give me wisdom for my family, for my marriage, for my children. Give me wisdom for my ministry. Give me wisdom for my church. God, for your word says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it would give, be given to him. James 1.5. And when I began to pray that, I believe that God began to give me wisdom. He began to help me to understand about things that are going on in the earth. He began to help me understand things that have been going on within my own mind, within my own heart. And he began to give me ultimately what he wants me to do. As I began to seek him, he began to lay out his purpose and his destiny in this time. And what I believe tonight is that's not only just for me, but every believer in this time should be seeking God's wisdom, should be seeking his wisdom in prayer, his wisdom in fasting, his wisdom for direction, because if you don't, you'll end up just like the five foolish virgins, slumbering while they were unprepared. The second thing that we need is the oil. You know, I'm grateful to be, uh, you know, saved, born again in fellowship uh, with our church, with our fellowship. And, and it's amazing to be in a place where we do so much, where we reach out to one another in love and concern uh, for each other, that, that we as a church body, we push each other to strive for the upward call in Christ Jesus and to be faithful to seek our destiny in Christ. And with that, fellowship is important. Staying connected is important. However, as an individual tonight, somewhere you must get your own oil to put into your own vessel. The wise took oil in their vessel with their lamps, See, the oil is always portrayed as the anointing of God. It is the consecration or the commitment 
and devotion to God and his purpose. It is the representation of being set apart, being separated from the world, and being connected to God. Somewhere, even in this time of isolation, where we're not meeting as a church, when we're not outreaching as a church, when we're not combining forces as a church, do you have your own oil? Are you being set apart for God? Are you being connected to God in this time of uncertainty? See, tonight, church, we can't be foolish. We have to get this in us. We have to get this rooted in our hearts and in our minds. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you. See, as a Christian tonight, you're not going to be able to live and make it to the end off of someone else's oil. You have to get your own. You have to seek God for yourself. You have to seek and be connected to God. You have to be set apart for God by yourself. That doesn't mean that we don't need the help of others. That doesn't mean that we, that we forsake being connected and we forsake being together. But in this time where we can't be together, are you going to lose hope? Are you going to cast off restraint and all the things that you know? Or are you going to stay connected? Are you going to get your own oil? See, the wise virgins, they heard and listened to the word of the bridegroom, and they knew that there could be a delay. These wise virgins took every step to ensure that they were ready, no matter what. So what about you tonight? Is your lamp burning while the bridegroom is delayed? While God in his mercy is holding off that those may be saved, that those there would be those that would turn in this time, that those people out there that are lost, the people that are out there backslidden, that they would have time to turn away from their sin, turn away from their wickedness, and turn to the living God. While the bridegroom is delayed, do you have oil in your vessel? I close with this illustration. There's uh, an event, widely known event, uh, the eruption of Mount St. Helens happened back in 1980. And this eruption of this mountain was not a sudden event. For two months prior to the blast, the most deadly and the most destructive uh, blast in American history, uh, there was multiple earthquakes and multiple signs of volcanic activity that happened uh, at this site. And there was plenty of time. There was alarms that were sounding. There was messages to warn those nearby of the danger. Despite the seriousness of the threat, some people chose to disregard the warnings. Probably the most famous uh, persons of those who refused to leave that area was a man named Harry Randall Truman. This 83-year-old man was the owner of a lodge, on this mountain, and he had survived the sinking of a, of a ship um, in a German submarine during World War I. 
He was a war veteran. And his statements is that I'm not about to leave just because some people think that there's a danger. He told reporters, I don't have any idea whether it'll blow or not, but I don't believe it to the point that I'm going to pack up and leave. And on that day in 1980, Truman and his lodge were buried beneath 150 feet of mud and debris from this volcanic eruption, and his body was never found. See, church tonight, it is foolish that we recognize danger. It's foolish that we recognize warnings and think that somehow we are going to escape. Somehow that we will be exempt from the consequences if we linger. Tonight, we should understand tonight, we must understand tonight that the words of our Lord are true. And that every person needs to be ready for his return, no matter what is going on in the earth. That if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, that your eyes should be focused on the heavenly call, that your eyes should be focused and be heaven-bound instead of you preserving your life here on the earth. Jesus told his disciples, it is not for you to worry about the signs and the seasons, but he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, because you shall be witnesses unto me. That is the calling of every believer tonight. That is the calling that if you're lost tonight, the bridegroom is coming. If you're lost tonight, you need salvation. You need the love of God. You need to be saved from the wrath to come. But the church tonight, you need to be ready. You need to have your oil. Because if not, the Bible calls you foolish. And in the end, when the bridegroom comes, there will be no time to go get oil. You'll just be left on the outside. Amen? Let's bow our heads tonight.